All right, welcome to 646. My name is Dallas McManus, and we have Michael Beauclair in the studio today. How you doing, man? Not bad, thank you. All right, glad to have you here. Thank you very uh, much. For anybody that does not know, Michael is a premier drummer. He is sponsored by Yamaha, Vic Firth. Uh, Remo, Sidian. Yeah, uh, um, so he's a pimp, basically, <laughs> is what the gist is. And you have a list of not only accomplishments, but... Uh, people that you work with and work for and stuff that you head up yourself that is an arm length basically um and i creeped the facebook a little bit just to get a, a quick idea and i know that that can't possibly be the extent of it because i'm sure you only get so much space on facebook but it's long and impressive so thank you it's really cool to not only have you here but to also get to work with you every once in a while it's a lot of fun because yeah. you are a crazy fucking drummer and <laughs> as you. a bassist it's really really nice to have a very solid player on the kit because as i'm sure you've witnessed and and just know as a drummer that if if the rhythm section's not holding it down then it's no good. <laughs> exactly. It's equally frustrating, you know, to work with a, a bass player who might be lost in the song or, mm. you know, have difficulties with time and stuff like that, too. So I want to also apologize for how I've got a terrible frog in my throat. So yeah. I sound pretty husky t this morning. That's why. So <laughs> apologize. It's that sexy rasp. That's it. Yep. <laughs> um, you are really, really heavily involved in drumline. And uh, I know you're an author and a clinician and all this kind of stuff. I'm just curious, did did kit come first or was it drumline stuff that came first? Yeah, the kit came first. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my dad and my uncle were drummers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's in the blood. Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up with my dad bringing his drums home to change all the heads and uh, tune them all up and play them in the living room before he packed them up again. Oh, nice. And, uh, and then going, you know, as soon as I got old enough to go to his rehearsals, I did. So right. one of his groups practiced every Sunday afternoon and I go with them and I just, uh, I just wear earplugs and sit underneath his hi-hat. <laughs> and just just sit there and uh and i'd often pick one person in the band and stare at them oh cool. so like i'd just be like okay today's the day that i'm just going to pay attention to the bass and uh, that band had a lady bass player and i would just stare at her fingers mm. and see them on the frets and then i would stare at the other hand working the strings and everything like that i'd really try and understand the correlation between her movement and the sounds i was hearing and stuff like that and so wow. i'd really hyper focus like that on, on each musician each day that's a and really was, good idea and crazy that you just kind of innately yeah did it's that. it's even stranger that i remember doing that <laughs> but uh, so but i was a strange little kid so how young um, were you when you were doing that um i started going to rehearsals um you know still in elementary school so i was right. you know six or seven or so, something like that going to rehearsals wow. and helped my dad schlep his gear in and everything like that being a big boy and, yeah. and, <laughs> and i did that for quite a while and at one point his band was rehearsing in uh in a, and my mom was singing uh, backups for a while in, a, in one oh, of the nice. bands, too. And uh, they were practicing in the old Pines. Oh, uh, yeah. Birch North. Birch North, yeah. yeah and which is now, like, right where the Tim Hortons is. I think so, I think. yeah. And there's there's a Tim Hortons, like, in, in the property of the Pines. Yeah. But I think yeah, the yeah, old the building's, building's still, still there. there. It's derelict, yeah. I think. But yeah. it was a huge bar. And, um, and so sometimes if I would get bored, I would just go and sneak, and I could go walk behind the bar. And I could be, like, seven years old and walking behind this bar that I couldn't see over. <laughs> and just looking at the hundreds of glasses hanging from the ceiling and, and, and all the cupboards and the sinks and everything like that. It was just 
just neat. So I, I had a very early understanding of that culture and, and yeah. all that too. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So you so, are definitely local Lakefield, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right? Yeah, Lakefield. Yeah. yeah, we moved around a lot as a kid. Um, Selwyn and Lakefield. I spent one year in Burlington and one year in Hamilton. Oh, cool. And uh, pretty big culture shock, especially uh, when we left Hamilton, we moved uh, to... Uh, to Shemong Lake on the water. Oh yeah. So I, I literally <laughs> went from like homeless guys in my front porch right. to a lake in my backyard. Yeah. So that was a uh, pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's uh, a nice switch. Pretty, pretty nice switch. Yeah. <laughs> Hamilton, um, you know, Hamilton is a, is a, it's a, it's a neat city. Uh, it's really diverse depending on where you live. Yeah. And I did not live in the nice part. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, you know, I've been there many, many times since and it's beautiful, especially when you're up on the mountain on the escarpment, yeah, but absolutely. yeah, I, I live down below. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did I, yeah. I lived on Hess North. Okay. Yeah, cool. Right. Where, where, where all the old, uh, factories were all boarded up and shit. Mm. Oh, it was kind of grimy, but yeah, but it was so close to Hess village, which is where all the, the live music was, or not all of it, but the majority of it when I was in school. Uh, it was all Hess Village, so just, yeah, it was walking distance to almost yeah, it makes every it a lot gig. easier, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, sorry, I totally interrupted. No, you. No, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so but mostly, so I was a couple of years there and then came back. Yeah, so um, went to Lakefield and then uh, did the arts program at PCVS. Right on. Yeah. So, how old were you the first time you sat on the kit? Do you um, remember? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I. Uh, <laughs> I got my first drum set when I was three from Santa oh, nice. and it was a four piece set of Stuarts. Okay. Um, and uh, it was what was extra unique about it is that it had two bass drums and I, I don't think it was my dad. I think it was a fellow that had it beforehand. He had put the two bass drums together to make one really deep bass drum. Oh, cool. So it was a 20 inch bass, but it was like, it was, you know, it was like 35 inches deep or something like that. Jesus so, and, like a cannon. well, like a cannon and, you know, a three-year-old doesn't have a really strong leg. Sure. So that was working in my favor. <laughs> yeah. And, um, sure. you know, and, uh, so I was three years old, so it was 1980. And, uh, so there was no, uh, front head on the bass drum and it had a pillow on the inside. So I would walk around, I'd take naps inside the drum. <laughs> <laughs> I already had the pillow. It was Holy perfect. Crap. So I could snooze in there. And as I got bigger, my legs would stick out the end of it, you know, sure. and eventually I was too big to snooze in there. But that was kind of like my little safe spot, climbing the bass drum and have a nap. Wow. So, yeah, that was pretty sweet. So then um, I played that kit for quite a while. Then in uh, grade six, uh, I I went and got my did my babysitting course and everything like that. And I babysat for everybody to try and make some money right. to buy a, a used kit. Nice. And I got a, a better kit in grade six. It was like a Westbury. And right I rocked that puppy until college. Right on. Uh, I grew up really humble. So I was playing bars in Peterborough and I would bring bricks with me. Um, because oh, keep the, the kick from sliding? Well, no, uh, the floor tom couldn't get tall enough and and <laughs> and awesome. i didn't have like a drummer's stool i had a i just had this this metal stool at my house so i would put three bricks down and put the floor tom on top like the floor legs on top of that and then the three bricks down for my stool so um i'm loading in and out of venues and i have to carry these six bricks with me to get my shit tall enough oh my God. so so it was it was a it was a pretty rough uh drum set um and my family still has it uh, nice. my, my dad took it years ago and refurbished it and, uh, used it for a bit. And now he's got a beautiful Yamaha drum set, but, yeah. um, but it, it still exists, but it was pretty rough. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's kind of good though, in a way, right? Like if you can play well on something that not many other people could, then it's, it's sort of like training with ankle weights for a marathon. 
in a way. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, we, it's it's really easy to get caught up in the gear. Yeah. And gear is beautiful. And I'm very uh, flattered to have some really amazing gear now. Mm. But, you know, I think that it's, uh, I think a larger percent of it is what you're doing with it. Oh, totally. And with a drum, especially, I think <clears throat> as long as it's round. Yeah. It'll be all right. And it's funny to say that as long as it's round, because uh, depending on the manufacturer, it depends on how they make how they actually make the wood round. And mm. so some drums go out around really quickly. Um, and so once they're out around, the tone just doesn't just doesn't work. And if the drum's round, it could be made out of monkey wood and cardboard. But if it's round, it'll it'll sound all right. So you'll so. have to forgive my ignorance. When you say out of round, do you mean that like the shape of it actually warps? Yeah, like oh, the sh- okay. if the shell isn't physically perfectly round anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then it really screws up the acoustics of the drum. Oh, so wow. and obviously head choice and tuning is a is a a, a, a sure. way bigger factor than the the actual shell itself. Totally. I mean, when you know everyone gets pretty fussy about shells, but uh, you know heads and how you hit them and tuning is so much larger of a factor in my opinion than what the actual shell is. Sure. Um, and it does make a difference, but yeah, if they're round and you can tune and hit all right, you can play. Pretty much anything, and I have. I've played some pretty rotten, pretty rotten <laughs> stuff over the years, and 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 now my drums are beautiful. I'm very very happy, but nice. uh, but yeah, it took a while to get there. Crazy. So then, um, when you said high school, uh, PC, right? Yeah. So definitely for the arts program, then for the music, I yeah must have been. Yeah, totally. I was one of the. I was like the second year that it existed. I think is the oh, year nice. that I got in, and um, we had. Uh, you know, an audition. So you had to apply, and then you mm-hmm. had to pass that, and then you had to go to an audition and an interview, and pass all of those, and then and then wait to find out, you know, if you're in. Right. And uh, the way it worked out, <clears throat> um, your 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 choice was either a music major or a uh, visual arts major at the time. Right. And then everybody would take their major every day. Right. And everybody would also have uh, drama right. every day, no matter what. It was, That's uh, cool. yeah. So the, the program has morphed a lot since, uh, you know, a very long time ago when I did it. Sure. Um, but, uh, when we did it to, uh, the ratio of guys to girls, just the way it worked out was nine to one. Whoa. So yeah, nine girls for each guy. Oh, well that's <laughs> yeah, that's quite a bit better than yeah. Actually. It was fun. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. Nine <laughs> girls for each guy, and then, um, they had open, they had uh, basically open attendance, so you could um, miss up to 10 of any class before they call your parents. Oh, wow. So you could miss like eight English and seven math and they still haven't called home because you might not be in the artistic aura to take those classes right now. And, (laughs) and assignments are late if you hand them in after the exam. So oh my God. yeah, yeah. So, okay. So my understanding at the time was that it was a, it was a pilot program that the Toronto board had created, but nobody wanted to try it. Nobody was brave enough to try it. Right. And so Peter Bro said, Hey, we're going to try this thing. And it was really wacky. So, um, uh, later on, like once a year, we'd have to go to the board office. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first oh. time the cat has interrupted an episode. <laughs> sorry. Whoops. Um, we would, uh, we'd go to the board office and have to like do a performance to try and like, please don't close our program, sir. Um, because it was so wacky. Um, and I think one of the ways they kept things, uh, legit was that if you failed a course, you were out. Right. So, um, so because of that open attendance and because of the school was downtown and it was drawn from the entire board, everyone's being bussed in from really far away. So a lot of country kids all of a sudden have got... 
<laughs> no rules in their downtown. Right. They can go to the pool hall. Yeah. They can go to the mall. They can go see a show. <laughs> they can do whatever. And so um, attendance got dodgy quick. Yeah. And um, we really found ourselves being like two or three boys in the whole program. Wow. Uh, yeah. So um, especially in music, uh, there was... Uh, <coughs> Uh, that I can remember there's one other boy that made it through with me in music. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, uh, so for relationships, it's pretty great. Cause I, yeah. I, uh, I, I had to figure out how to be chums with all these girls right away. Cause that's all I had. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So that worked out really well later in life yeah. to have that skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, it was pretty, pretty strange. So I had music and drama every day for five years. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It was pretty sweet. Did you, um, did you do a lot of plays in school as well, or was it mostly just drama class and that's where that stayed? And then... Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> so the, yeah, the school would do a musical each year, but that would be open to um, to the whole school, not just an oh, arts okay. program and stuff like that. And I was already getting lots, right? Uh, so and I had a really full plate. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, I started uh, doing drumline in grade nine. I was playing in the school uh, jazz band, school concert band, right. and then I was gigging in a couple of bands. Right. Too. Okay. Yeah, and the drumline thing, especially by grade eleven, was really ramping up, and I was away every weekend in the states. And oh, nice. So I was. Uh, yeah. So I did not. <laughs> I did not do anything extra. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Just in terms of, <clears throat> pardon me, in terms of the bands that you were gigging with, was that predominantly like rock and roll or was it yeah 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 totally yeah and it was uh you know covering you know the the rock hits of the time and sure. uh, trying to sneak in your own originals when you can of course um so <laughs> yeah and um you know so my grade nine year was also the year that nirvana really erupted and everything mm. too so it was all in that era so grunge had really exploded right um and uh, so would that have been Nevermind or was that still bleach no, like the baby swimming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. never mind. Yeah, never mind. right yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, and before that, I had so um, so one of the ways my dad taught me to drum was to uh, he would give me a an album and I would just mimic it. Yeah. You know, and then um, sometimes he'd take it back to trade it in to get me another one, or he'd he'd find a way to get me another album. And as my skills progressed, those albums became more difficult. That's you know, sweet. and uh, very clearly recall the day that I got Led Zeppelin one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like go listen to Good Times, Bad Times. <laughs> yeah. I'll see man. you in two days. Yeah. And um, yeah, because pretty mind blowing to hear that for the first time. Right. You know, and uh, and I was you know grade six or seven or something like that at the time, still in Lakefield, and yeah, pretty wacky. So. Um, so I became That's, a... I'm sorry, like grade six or seven. I didn't start tackling Zeppelin until I was in high school. So that's... Fuck. Well, <laughs> that's so crazy. It's all, it's all good, you know. It's so I, <laughs> I became a pretty heavy Zeppelin head. And, um, and, then, um, and, then the, uh, and then late grade eight, um, my uncle introduced me to James Brown. Nice. He, uh, the Christmas, uh, he, in Christmas time, he gave me a mixtape and it was all James Brown. That's and awesome. I, I really, you know, I, you know, everybody had heard, you know, uh, I feel, good. I feel good. Everybody's yeah, heard that sure. song, but I had never heard popcorn before. Oh, and, mm -hmm. and like, you know, that kind of stuff and, uh, mind blowing. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is it. And yeah. then, um, the spin doctors album came out. Oh yeah. Right. With two princes on it. Yeah. And the drum beat in that is infectious. And yeah. so, uh, and those cats are heavy. Oh man. That really rhythm heavy. section is so <laughs> sick. So, man. so mm. I, I, so by the time I started grade nine, I was like, I'm into funk. Yeah. You know, you know, rock is great, but rock hasn't done well 
recently sure right because it was just as grunge was birthing so rock was in a pretty steady decline yeah you know like when i was in grade seven i think the biggest hit in the world was don't worry be happy yeah you know and that yeah. was a really sad time i think for for music you know you're, so, not, you're not a bobby mcfarren fan <laughs> well good on him hey good for him catchy hit yeah that's great but that's the number one song in the world yeah it doesn't right. have an instrument in it that's tough yeah. um so um so i started really getting into funk and that was pretty great and then grunge scene came and uh and uh i was really lucky to really grateful to be in high school at that time because then you know by midway through high school i'm mother earth yeah was, you know which is obviously incredibly local which yeah. is so cool but i'm mother earth our lady peace white mouth mason big wreck big sugar yeah yeah all of that that's first some... And, and so I much, love all those bands. Yeah, They're and Matt so Good. good yeah. And, uh, so, so much material to play. Yeah. And obviously the whole Seattle grunge scene and all of that was all bursting at the same time too. Yeah, but yeah. It, was really, it was really great that we had all that uh, Canadian content too. Yeah, absolutely. Know, um, because they learned, they learned from the U.S. Uh, really quickly. Mm. The whole, you know, um, Sonic Youth yeah. you know, and negotiating process and everything like that that really changed everything yeah that kind and, of alt uh, scene yeah so it it uh it made made them look really quickly okay what do we have in canada yeah <laughs> you know and so they did a quick search and of course found out we had all kinds of stuff and signed everybody and yeah. all the money went back in and it was a real big rebirth yeah yeah so i was really lucky to be part of that and i got to ride that right through college nice and i was saying to one of my friends the other day it was so wacky that you know in um in like my second year of college i went to school a little bit late but in like you know 2000 right you could play a bar and there'd be like 250 guys just standing there in the bar with a pint in their hand mm. and like three girls that are trying to connect with one of those 250 guys <laughs> and you're playing you know mm. you're playing some hip and you're playing some pearl jam and i'm other earth and you're playing sneaking in your own originals and mm. these guys are all just bobbing their head and singing along yeah and they all pay five bucks to get in and yeah. you could play like three shows a night in Sudbury like that and make good money yeah and you cannot do that right now and I'm very glad that I was able to have that at that time yeah you know because that was a big source of income while I was in school for sure know? but uh just yeah Man. so just lucky really yeah I my my college gigging the payment was a lot more slim I'll tell you, it was, uh, you know, playing probably two shows a night, almost, uh, three or four days a week. And people were not paying $5 covers to get in. They're like, <laughs> cover charge, fuck this. <laughs> and they were out. Right. So I'm like, Oh man. So that's sweet. Like, so I've heard all these awesome stories about when people would gladly pay to listen to music. And I don't know. I feel like people are really spoiled now. And they, I mean, hopefully it'll kind of switch back around, but I don't know, just because it, it, people seem to be, have this feeling of entitlement that they should be able to get entertainment for free. It's kind yeah, of too bad. It's going to, I mean, it, the whole world is going to take a long time to adjust to the web. Yeah. The web absolutely. is just, you know, it's just such a, it's like, it's literally you know, the biggest thing to happen to mankind since fire. <laughs> yeah. Like it really yeah. is. It really yeah. is. Uh, as far as altering our course, um, you know, the web is, is that big and it, it's going to, every industry is struggling and, and trying to change. Yeah, for sure. And as soon as people can get shit for free, 
Why it go backwards? Yeah. yeah. Like it's so it, everything has changed. Like book publishing is wacky. Oh, totally. Like everything, like everything has changed so much yeah. and will continue to. So it's going to take everybody a long time to adjust. Yeah. Um, I know <laughs> it's sad, but <clears throat> I know for a lot of people, um, a lot of music fans, it's been really great. Yeah, for sure. You can, you can get all your music for free online so you don't have to pay for it anymore. Mm -hmm. And all of your favorite bands are now poor and have to go back on the road. Yeah, um, so you so get to see you them can, all. You can see ACDC again. You know, they're backstage <clears throat> getting injections in their knees and stuff before they go out on stage. And uh, you can go see your favorite band again who hasn't toured in 25 years because those poor fellas are grandparents now. Yeah. And, and they've done it and they've loved it, but they don't want to do it anymore. And now they yeah. have to. It's amazing for the music fan. Yeah. So that you know, it's, there's there's two sides to every coin. Oh, for sure. So it's gonna it's definitely gonna take some time to get there. But there's a lot of people that think this is great. Yeah. You know? Of course. Yeah. And and for <clears throat> pardon me. And for independent artists trying to get a, a larger reach, it is kind of nice in that way as well that you can distribute globally without having to deal with any kind of label or anything like that. But um, yeah, just in terms of the uh, the biased, selfish. <laughs> concerned with my bank account <laughs> yeah absolutely um absolutely and you know pardon me for for better and for worse it's also opened up the competition exponentially yeah absolutely right? so, so you would first compete with whoever's local and yeah. if you became the largest act locally then you could draw people to your shows and that would draw attention that you could go mm. to the larger market nearby and, and you could work your way through that process and now you release something and you're competing against you know the guy in texas that just released something too for sure you know and so <laughs> Forces yeah. you to step up the game. Exactly. So yeah. it's great. The whole world gets to hear the cream of the crop, but you have to compete Ooh. against the whole world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked competing against people in Peterborough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. So, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, sorry for the departure there, though. So, no, no. Um, King College, you went to um, Humber, right? I went to Cambrian. Oh. I went to Cambrian up in Sudbury. Oh. Yeah. I had a lot of chums go to Humber and a lot of students. Oh, okay. A lot of my students have gone to Humber. Yeah. But I went to Cambrian up in Sudbury. Apologies. For some reason, I thought you went to Humber. Oh, well. No, I, uh, I sent an audition uh, package to Humber and right. I got accepted. And then I, uh, I called them and said, I want to take another year gap. And then I ended up going to, to uh, Cambrian. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the professor in Cambrian was a, uh, <clears throat> was a drumline judge. Okay. And so um, I had a friend that was already going there and also, um, but I had friends at Humber as well, but uh, the, the the honesty of it was that um, I had a lot of people blowing smoke up my ass. Sure. And this guy didn't. Right. And that was really attractive to me. For I'm sure. like, this guy is going to go up there and kick my ass. Right. And I need that. And yeah. as out of control as my ego was at 20 years old, sure. I was aware of it. Right. You know, and yeah. part of it was, you know, a survival tactic at the time for this scenario I was in, yeah. but, um, I was aware of it and I, and I knew that I knew that I wasn't nearly as good as people thought I was. Sure. And that was, a. uh, it's, it's, I think it, I think it haunts you forever, but it's, it's always a fear that people will find out that you suck. Oh yeah. You know? Right. That uh, someday the talent police are going to come and take you <laughs> Just away. Just be like, dude, you should have none of the things you have. You are terrible. Yeah. You know, here's, here's your mop. Yeah. <laughs> Go to work. So, I... uh, so he, he was the first person to, to say, you know, um, 
you know, what you don't know could fill a stadium. Right. <laughs> so, and at this point too, you were like winning all kinds of championships for drumline. Yeah. So, um, you could uh, compete once a year as a soloist and I had won all of those. Yeah. So, um, so many times over. So, uh, and the, the, sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting, but those yeah. were international, right? No, those were, those were, were they just, just national. Yeah, okay. there, were, there is an international one and, um, and you could do that one once a year as well at Drum Corps International. And okay. uh, in order to do that, though, you had to leave your group who was practicing for the World Championships to go do it. So uh, a lot of groups okay. wouldn't let you leave because they don't want you to go and, and ruin the rehearsals. Sure. Um, and so that was uh, a big way that our group felt at the time. Right. And uh, and I was I was nervous to test myself out against everyone else. Right. Um, you know, and, you know, my fans think that I would have you know, placed in the top three in the world any year I would have went. And my haters think I would have, you know, been knocked off the block. Sure. And that's, you know, that's, that's in typically the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the that's polarized a, that's opinion anything, for yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. And I, and you know, it, because it is something competitive and because I, I won so young, um, cause you can compete till you're 21 okay. and, uh, and I won that ticket at 16. So, uh, right. in Canada. So I blew out uh, like a, like a generation of dudes. Right. So, um, they they weren't happy about that uh, understandably you know because yeah. um, i got stronger each year so sure um so uh, yeah and it's a competitive thing yeah you know, like anything else yeah so um so yeah nobody so, likes to lose no so i have no <laughs> i have no idea how i would have done internationally at the time sure yeah but so it was a canadian thing so yeah, yeah. okay which is then why you chose the school you did was for the professor that for was going to kick your ass. That was going to kick my ass, yeah. yeah. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, in my second year, we fought terribly. In my second year, we didn't actually... I, I tried to give him the silent treatment for like a month. <laughs> like one hour private <laughs> lessons, the yeah. whole bit. Uh, it was tough. And uh, and we're... He's truly one of my best friends now. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's wonderful. He's one of the nicest men on earth and definitely a father figure yeah. in part for me. But um, it, was, uh, it was tough, but... Um, to be fair, I think we both grew a lot during that time. Sure. You know, but I mean, definitely me a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is the dude that made you do eighth note triplets at like, that where the triplet was at 30 yeah, p.m. He, or something he, yeah. insane like that. Yeah. He wanted me to, <laughs> he wanted me to strike a ride symbol on the quarter note. He wanted me to learn the jazz, uh, the, the jazz fulcrum to be able to do the skip beat as the pickup to to the strike okay. on a jazz ride. Um, very, uh, Roger flock esque. And, um, and so he wanted me to do that with the eighth note triplet at 30. And, <laughs> That's um, so crazy. um, but it's, but so you're just waiting for that beep. And, uh, and he had his back turned to me. He was doing some paperwork <laughs> at his desk. And if the ride symbol struck before the ping, he just go, ah, yeah, <laughs> oh shit. And <laughs> try again. Just for anybody that doesn't know what that means, <laughs> I gotta pull up my metronome on my phone here and show them just what a what a quarter note at thirty beat. Not even the quarter note, not 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 the eighth note triplet, but just what a quarter note is at thirty BPM because that will make everybody shit their pants. So if the so, hang on. <laughs> so now count that like it's the triplet. Yeah. So it'd be one trip, let <laughs> two, and um, that's and insane. You, and you're just striking those numbers. You'd pick up and you'd and you'd strike the let, you know, and the pick up <laughs> every other time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that yeah, Fuck. he he broke me down and built me back up again. He shackled me to a marimba, um, 
really, really great. One of my first lessons, he's like, mm-hmm. okay, um, you know, do you know your major scales? I'm like, yeah, I, I pretty much know my major scales. I know tone, tone, semitone, tone, 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 semitone. And, yep. and uh, you know, I can, I can definitely nail it in C. And um, I For did sure. it. It's like, okay, that's cool. Um, can you go up to the fifth note and back down? Then up to the nine, back to the fifth, up to the nine, all the way back down again. I said, yep. He's like, okay, I need that in 12 keys next week. Show now. Here's a scale in a week. In, yeah, here's a scale in thirds. Like one, three, two, four. Would you go up to the up to the nine and then back down again? Yeah. like cool. I need that in twelve keys. Did you do seven back to one at the bottom? Yep, seven up to one. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And and then he also showed me. He's like, do you know your circle fifths? Yes. Okay. So what we want to do is we want to play these in reverse order. Oh, cool. Okay, so when you play them in, res- in reverse order, uh, so this is what mallet players do all the time because then each scale resolves the previous one. Right. So it's, it gives it a really musical feeling to it. Yeah, yeah. So you're always playing them in that reverse order. So you're always going C, F, B flat and going that way. Right. Yeah. That's and very cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You get to G and then you come back to C again. Everything's resolved. It yeah, sounds yeah, really nice. Yeah. Five one, that perfect exactly. cadence. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's great. So that's what mallet players do. So that was my first uh, lesson. But so my first lesson was like, 10 minutes long of the hour and he's like okay see ya and he left me in Just the room get to work and i gotta Jesus. i gotta do this like he's like okay we're starting at zero kiddo you suck and uh then the following week he's like okay uh my darling clementine do you know the song oh my darling oh my darling i'm like yep he's like okay so here we go it's you know it's like uh one 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 five three 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 one one three five five four three two yeah, in case yeah. we're learning it that way i'm like okay he's like cool 12 keys next week goodbye <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he went i was like oh, oh my God. <laughs> i'm sensing a theme <laughs> um so um so each week he gave me a different scale variation and a different song that would progress in difficulty sure and i need to play it in 12 keys and that oh. was my first semester of drum lessons basically with him that's pretty amazing and pretty cool um but his you know he he has a a really heavy jazz uh education and that was you know he's like you should be able to play anything in any key right period of course yeah that's it (laughs) so yeah so it was uh pretty cool so that's that's where he started um but he he it was a primarily a classical program but um Mm. he he was uh he was a, a big time jazzer and, and uh, so he was able to fit in lots of drum set for me too. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Pretty sweet. So pardon me. <clears throat> so, um, sorry, were you going to, well, I was just, I was going to say too, that I had, I had started getting into, uh, I started digging Santana a little bit just before oh, I went yeah. to school. And, uh, so I bought, uh, Afro-Cuban rhythms for drum set, which is like the Bible of, of yeah. that type of drumming um and so i started teaching myself uh a cha mambo a songo and stuff like that on drum set and teaching myself some timbales and then nice. i was composing for a drum corps marching band and um and so uh the second year of con- composing they were doing a lion king show so i was putting in lots of african and and yeah, as much cool. as lion king's african there are sadly lots of latin things happen in it too so <laughs> so i was able to pull some of those out and stick them in too and it was pretty great so when i got to school um uh i think he was really happy there and he knew what all my cascadas were and, and claves and stuff like that but i had no actual hand percussion so i was right. really excited to dig into congas with him that's cool and that was that was really big and so um he had this really great gig where he would uh, play congas for a dance studio. Oh, cool. And But they needed him two nights a week, and he could only do it one night a week. So really quickly, I got that gig from him to do the second one. Right. And it was just... Uh, 
you know, it was, it was an hour and a half, like every Tuesday and the, he would leave his congas there for me. So I just take the oh, city nice. bus. I show up at this dance studio and sit down and, um, the instructor would, you know, teach the girls what the next move is going to be. And you, you, all you would know is whether it was in four or three and you would have no idea what the tempo is until she counts them in. And then you would have to play something that was correct. And it couldn't be the same thing you just played last time. So, (laughs) so it was like, you know, trial under fire Yeah. for an hour and a half every week. And I got 50 bucks each time I did it. Nice. It was amazing. So you're getting paid. It's like paid lessons. Paid lessons, paid rehearsal for an hour and a half every week. My conga chops were like insane at the end of the first year of that. I bet. It was so great. I got to do that for three years. And I mean, obviously, you know, that's, you know, it's, you know, 18 year old girls dancing. So the scenery wasn't terrible. Right. And, uh, and I'm playing congas and getting to do that. So that was a really great gift that he, he did too. So private lessons in that with him and in percussion ensemble class and then getting to work out the bugs, you know, putting a a clap with the left foot and stuff like that on top of a Womako and all these things. So great. That's awesome. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty huge too. So I miss doing that. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. That's really wicked. Yeah. <laughs> strange, eh? Yeah. A lot of strange things. That's cool, though. I mean, it's way better than just, I guess, believing your own hype, right? Because then that would stagnate really fast if you were just like, yeah, I'm the fucking best, and there's no need to go on and, and learn anymore. And then you just... Plateau. Yeah. Arrested development in a big way, yeah. right? So that's awesome. And I'm yeah. sure also, you know, letting somebody... Because my first year of college, I... I'd been gigging for, you know, I went later in life too. I was 24. Yeah, I was 24 when I, in my first year. So I was mm-hmm. super late. Yeah, I was 21. Okay. Yeah, yeah so still. not too far off. Yeah. Um, and I'd been gigging in bars since I was 14. So I thought I was hot shit. And I found out pretty quick that I wasn't. So <laughs> it's, it's good. I, like, at least for me, it really, you know, to have my ego totally shattered and then kind of restructured after that was a really positive experience it sucked at the time i used to hyperventilate every friday morning into a brown paper bag before i went into my private lesson and then weep for about an hour afterwards <laughs> and then just and then practice all day you know mm-hmm. uh whether it was strictly on bass or if i was playing piano or or getting my reading up the snuff because i couldn't read when i first went to school mm-hmm. like it was atrocious so right my reading's still not awesome but um it's i can actually do it now as opposed to not and like trying my damnedest to fake my way through everything which right. was way more stressful than it needed to be uh anyway um so after after college what came first did you start creating your drum line or did you start your uh authoring your books or what yeah so um when i when i went to school i had a very conscious effort that you know drumline is for kids Okay. And it was great. Right. And I will never do it again. Okay. And I really wanted to get away from the the hyper type A personalities and the aggression of competition. Sure. Sure. And uh, and I had a lot of non fans ah. in that universe. <laughs> um, as you know, as success starts to bring. Yeah. And, and so competition in general. Competition in general, exactly. So um, I'm sure figure skaters and 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 people of that sort would understand exactly what I yeah, mean by that. You know, it's totally. a weird thing to mix music and competition. Yeah. It's a strange thing. So, um, so I really, my plan was no, no, no. Like, yeah, drum sets great, but I did that to get chops. Right. Like the reason I, I got into drum line is because as my, as my abilities got stronger, um, you know, my dad 
was working, you know, eight jobs and wasn't, wasn't able to do a lot of private lessons for me and also didn't have an income for me to go do private lessons with. Right. So, um, we could go join the local marching band. I could learn all my rolls and flams and all these things. Right. And my dad could volunteer to drive the bus and that would help to pay some of our fees to do it. Right. And my little brothers came with me too. So all three of us were doing it. And uh, my dad actually ended up in a, in a long career of transportation because of that. Oh, he actually cool. completely switched careers and it started with oh. him volunteering to go get his bus driver license. He could drive us to our parades and events and stuff like that to volunteer for the group, all right which on. is pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so I really thought, okay, I did that. I've got, I have chops now. Yeah. Like I can play faster than anyone I plan on meeting right. in, in the future. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But now it's time to learn how to apply that musically to everything else I do. For sure. And to go into reality because as great as that is, that's, you know, it finishes when you're 21. It's for kids. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's not reality it's not gonna it's not gonna feed me in the future yeah um because to my knowledge uh you know the activity was really dying in canada and so there wasn't an income in it and even in the states a lot of people do it for the notoriety not for the income yeah a lot of them are u.s professors and stuff like that who already have their summers off and already have a great income and they can they can do that so i really saw that as a dead end so i was doing everything i could to disassociate myself from drumline and you know the web wasn't what it is now so it was pretty easy to get people to forget that (laughs) (laughs) and moving away and starting school somewhere else really helped it's like no 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 i'm a a rock and roll and funk drum set player right and i'm gonna learn how to swing while i'm here and uh (laughs) so um so when i was graduating um so i got I got married and started school and moved away all the same month. Holy shit. Yeah. So that was a busy month. That yeah, was a busy month. So yeah, <laughs> September 01 was like, uh, yeah. Wow. Life changing. Yeah. Um, 98 rather, September 98. 01 is when I graduated. Um, so yeah, September 98 was a big life change. So um, <clears throat> graduating school, um, my wife was uh, starting a PhD at Trent University here oh, in Peterborough. Cool. So um, Canada's biggest. Uh, research his the research chair for genetics was moving from mcmaster to peterborough so she's like can you live in peterborough i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) cost of living one hour to toronto yeah Yeah. let's do this you know um so uh so we ended up uh renting you know like half a house on elmer street moving back to peterborough yeah and um so she had uh an income um as a bursary for uh, going to school right. um, because she she did well sure. so um, so so uh so she had a bursary and so she said to me you know if, if you can make 500 bucks a month we'll be all right that's that's your goal yeah make 500 bucks so i i got it one gig in september and made 100 bucks and i and i got two gigs in october and made 200 bucks and then um uh, I had I had made friends with the guys who were sales staff at Soul Drums while okay. I was in college, and they recommended me to a guy that was starting to run a, a small drum corps, small marching band in Mississauga, who's looking for an instructor. Right. And he rang me up and said, "Yeah," and he's like, "And uh, how much uh, how much do you charge?" And I said, "Oh, five hundred bucks a month." <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, "Cool. We've never paid our staff that much in history." Huh. And I'm like, "Okay, no problem." Well. You know, you can get back to me. Because <laughs> uh, I thought, stick to your guns, boy. Yeah, man, you know, Stonewall, you, you, you got to eat. Yeah. And um, and he went to his board and fought for me, which is amazing. Yeah. And he got me the 500 bucks a month. That's and awesome. And so I was driving to Mississauga every Sunday to teach this marching band. And, uh, you know, my family unit was now okay. 
And that was my starting point. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, that got me back into it. And, right. uh, but I was still like kind of keeping it a secret. Sure. <laughs> and, um, so, sort of like you're <laughs> the guilty yeah, <laughs> moneymaker. Totally. <laughs> totally. And, um, so, um, so, uh, I, so I got pretty chummy with one of the managers at Soul Drums and I had given him my grad recital video. Right. Um, and so, uh, Soul Drums had a really great Cuban percussionist at the time and, uh, he was going on mat leave, uh, for two weeks in September. Mm. And it was actually, um, like September 11th happened during that. Oh, wow. So like I watched it happen on TV and then I drove to work, drove to Toronto to teach that afternoon um, so yeah you never forget that yeah um so i i substituted for him for two weeks and then they offered me a job nice yeah so uh pretty sweet so then um i started driving to toronto two days a week to teach at soul drums and uh and then just try gigging in some local bands i started uh gigging with bo dixon and mm. uh gigging with uh was sorry was yeah. that slips in the high five slips in the high five yeah i was yeah. uh i was actually just talking to a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago kaylin davidson uh, and his dad, I guess, was a sax player in that band. I don't know if you guys were in the band at the same time or not. Right. But uh, but he was talking about Slips, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. with, with Bo and Michael. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. Yeah, Slips and the High Fives is such a fun band, and uh, it's existed for a really long time, and it's yeah. gone through many uh, metamorphoses. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, um, and the reality of a, of, a, of a gigging band like that, too, is that, you know, it's happening when Bo is available and it's not happening when he's not. And sure. Then, and then what musicians are available for that gig at that time and yeah. what income he has, you know, might also dictate who he's able to bring on board and stuff like that. So it's got quite the revolving door, yeah. but so much fun, yeah. so much fun. So I started off for that, um, substituting for the, the Congo player when he wasn't able to do it. Right. And right away started singing with Bo. And I think that's what uh, really helped me to, to solidify staying in the group was being able to, to support Bo. Yeah, doing the backups um, and tons. stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, eventually I started doing, you know, some drum set, um, mostly congas with him. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then once you're, you know, once you're in that circle, you do other unique gigs and stuff like that with them. And sometimes it's just two of us. And actually just the two of us played uh, New Year's Eve like seven times together. Oh, wow. Yeah, as a little duet. That's yeah, cool. It's pretty cool with Bo. It was really nice. Yeah, he would, um, he'd play keys and mm. we both sing and mm. we do like, you know, gentle music during dinner and then we kick it up just the two of us yeah, yeah. for the night. Pretty cute. Yeah. So yeah, I was just gigging with local Peterborough guys and uh, teaching at soul drums and then started um, uh, teaching that drum line. And then um, <clears throat> more and more of the students at soul drums were finding out about, uh, about the drum line uh, history that I had and about right. the, those chops that I possessed on a practice pad. And I was teaching more and more people to have those chops. Oh, okay. So they asked me to run a like Saturday course so Saturday afternoon for five weeks, you could come and, and take a, a rudimental class with Michael Beauclair. Right. And so I, I wrote out charts for that. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, this is, this is kind of a thing. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't hide from this. Right. And so I, I put it together uh, on my computer into a, into a Word document myself. Really? Yep, totally by myself. And uh, did the, like, the whole book uh, by myself. And it was this terrible program called Cakewalk. Oh yeah, man! I know Cakewalk. So bad, uh, <laughs> so bad, and um, I would have to save each 
each um, you know four measure passage as an image and yeah. then import that image into the Word document. Oh my god! And then you're trying to get them all to line up so that they're visually identical on the page. Right. And it was like painstaking, and you um, you couldn't even like repeat, so you had to physically click the mouse for every sixteenth note. Oh, and in a drum Jesus. book, that's like a carpal tunnel. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, it was pretty wild, but um, you know my you know my wife um, one of her side projects was editing other professors. Uh, works so I had a I had a, a really great editor, editor. That's awesome. um, so because uh, my my you know uh, English language writing skills were not my strength sure. so the book was obviously primarily music so she helped me on the on that side of it and um, so the first book was the mad practice pad yeah and um, so I, I made it and then uh, Doug soul from soul drums had his own book and I asked him where he got them printed it was right across the street this nice. local print shop so I went to see them suss it out and best bang for my buck was to make 500 books right um with a cd i recorded a cd with james mckenty uh, um for uh you know play along which yeah. i don't think anyone's recorded a practice pad before <laughs> so that was pretty strange just the sound of rubber <laughs> yeah um so i did that and um and uh so then um so i printed 500 books uh, so my wife and i we you know we we did a, a line of credit and um, printed 500 books. And then uh, we were house sitting at my aunt and uncle's farm and I had a CD stuffing party and my parents came over and we put uh, 500 CDs and 500 books. Oh, wow. And then um, at the time, Canada still had the NIAC conference, which is like Canada's version of uh, NAM. Okay. Uh, it's a music uh, industry association conference. Mm -hmm. So it was at the airport convention center and every music instrument distribution company would have its own booth and everything like that. And, and um, all the artists from all the different companies were there and stuff like that. And um, so I, uh, I brought five books in my briefcase um, and uh, uh, they didn't check my bag because um, <laughs> I didn't have like a solicitor's pass or anything like oh, that. Oh, nice. And, um, and there was uh, clearly one booth in the middle of the place that was like the biggest book distribution place. For sure. And I walked up and I showed the guy my book and I said, is there any chance you'd be interested in this? And he said, hold on, let me get the boss. And the boss uh, took a look through it and then he called me over and he said, tell me about this book. And I said, well, as far as I can tell, it's the first practice pad book ever yeah. and uh it's you know it's built on a marching background but it's for any drummer because everybody needs to learn how to just hit a piece of rubber mm -hmm. and he's like this is really cool uh how many of these did you make i said oh i made 500 he goes did you make them yourself son and i said yeah he's like okay well i'm gonna buy all 500 let's go for lunch <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. amazing it's pretty cool so he bought all 500 and uh, we went for lunch and um <laughs> It cost me 5000 to print them, right. and he bought them for eight. So nice. Like, Sweet. You know, and, and I was so, you know, I was so great, you know, that my wife was able to make that investment with me. But, you know, I was, I was hoping to, to pay that back to my family over the course of, you know, a two-year window. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like a week later. So, wow. so that That's was great. Amazing. So I got that check done and yeah. uh, those were paid for. And <clears throat> so that was really awesome. Um, so, um so um, then he was uh, distributing it throughout Canada, mm -hmm. and then um, and then the books all crashed the next year. All the publishers crashed in '08, and uh, he got s all of his inventory and licenses were sold to a brand new um, American company okay. that the guys from Warner Books had started because they got absorbed by Alfred Books, even okay. though Alfred was smaller than Warner. It was very strange. Yeah, that's weird. So Warner Books was done. 
Alfred absorbed their library and all their execs were out. So they started their own company and uh, bought up my publisher. So then all of a sudden it was being published internationally for about six months. And it was cool. And I'm getting all these emails from guys in Texas and Florida asking me questions. And, and I'm, I'm kind of chums with one of the Florida guys now. He's still making positive comments on my Facebook post from this weekend. It's pretty nice. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, and then that company tanked within six months. Jesus too. Christ. So then, uh, then my um, publication rights became open and, and automatically reverted back to me. Okay. So I I have full legal rights over my books. So nice. I I pay to have them made still, and they sit in boxes at my house, <laughs> and um, people buy them from my website, and then um, you know the the retailers buy them, and they buy them usually fifty at a time or so. Right. And uh, and so then I ship them off to the retailers, and you can get them at Long McQuaid's across Canada and stuff like that. And yeah. I actually have one of those Mad Practice Pad books, awesome. uh, <laughs> which I bought. Um, when you were doing uh, your your clinic tours for the book at oh, right. Uptown Music, Uptown Music, which is no longer around, but yeah. that was a long, long yeah, it time been ago. Like 05, maybe yeah, because it was six or something, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because I, fuck, I think I was like nineteen or twenty um, when you were doing that, and um, I. <laughs> It was funny because there were not really a whole ton of drummers at the Uptown Clinic, but I was like, well, if it's if it's a practice pad book, why couldn't I take these rhythms and just apply them to anything? Because my it was uh, brought to my attention by uh, a buddy of mine that was a drummer that my rhythm was not great. (laughs) <laughs> and, and this was this was before I went to school, right? Yeah, you know, and he's like, you know, you know a lot of notes, and that's great, and your your scales are fine. He's like, your rhythm's shit. So I was like, okay, well, there's a drum clinic coming, and it's it, the whole thing by the looks of it is it's a big rhythm clinic. I should probably yeah. go check this shit out. Uh, so I went and I got the book, and I um. I didn't work my way through the whole thing because, like, some of it got to the point where I was like, I can't. Well, it gets. It gets kind of insane. It gets pretty insane, but it starts off really simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, yeah. the the simpler exercises is like, okay, I can apply this to scale drills or to totally. anything or even just single note drills, yeah. right? And and get my, my rhythm chops more up to scratch. And then, you know, as, as the book progresses, like, I can't fucking do that. No, that's, <laughs> that's so great. You were able to use it, though. That's so yeah. wonderful, yeah. And uh, it was so funny because I remember um, at one point, you were ta- uh, you were talking about doing the conga thing, and uh, when you lick your finger and do the oh, yeah the howl the howl thing, yeah. and um and you're like that's the one thing I can't do. I just can't do a howl. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, huh, that's kind of neat. Yeah, that, that you would like ah because you told the story about bringing a buddy and they could that like wasn't even really a great conga player to a session <laughs> job or something just to yeah. do the. Just to do the <laughs> just to get the howl on a recording or something like that. Yeah. And it, for whatever reason, that story stuck with me for a long, long time. Because I, uh, I don't know why I thought it was so funny at the time, but it was just like, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you, you know, something that I, I have to keep learning, but uh, is, is, to, is to know your strengths. Oh, you know, of course. And, and know what things you can remedy and you can work on and get better. Yeah. Um, but also know when you need to call in for help. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Totally. And, uh, like I had to take a guitar course in college and dude, I, like, <laughs> I'm so bad. Uh, like so terribly bad. I got an A. I think it was because it was most improved. Right. And I could <laughs> sing while playing. But like everybody in the class. Well, okay. So they're at the school I went to. There's 50 of us in, in first year. Right. 
in third year there's seven right, right? so it's all the christmas grads and, and first semester and then it, you know yep. etc and um and so uh of the seven of us that are in the course well there's like four guitar majors right <laughs> right and everybody could already play guitar and i just and to this day man like yeah. so i took bass in strings class because oh, I, nice. I wanted you know i'm like okay because i'm the whole time in school especially you know understand it's a classical program it's like how can i relate this to my real life you know how will this help me in my yeah. 50s yeah right for sure so i i took bass all the way through um because i knew it's it's the same it's just you know it's it's tilted upright so it tilted sideways but yeah, basically yeah. the strings are the same the notes are the yeah. same kind of a thing right absolutely so i, I could handle that um because especially on a double bass they're so big yes they are <laughs> right? and it's like i can find stuff you know my ears work um but to sit and make all those shapes with my fingers on a guitar right it, that's just not going to happen anytime soon right like that's something i i may reinvestigate in my senior years for sure because <laughs> i i love the sound of it i would love mm -hmm. to just sit and and play and sing yep. um but yeah i just fuck, yeah. i can't do that it took me a while <laughs> to make the adjustment from bass to guitar to, for a couple of reasons one the strings are so much smaller mm -hmm. on a guitar and the fret spacing is everything's so much smaller and tighter together on on a guitar as opposed to a bass so when I decided that, well, my older brother moved away and he was the guitar player forever, right? So it's like, shit, now I gotta learn how to play guitar. Okay. Fuck. So I sat down to, to start doing it. It was really weird, especially also with that B string added in between the G and the E. To having that third instead of everything being tuned in fourths was a bit of a mind fuck at yeah. first, too. It's yeah. like, ah, my intervals are all screwed. This is weird. But yeah, it definitely is a there's a learning curve for sure um and in oh god i'm such a terrible drummer too like <laughs> it's i mean well you saw my you played on my hunk of shit kit well but i mean but uh like god it works yeah yeah it works, it works. i don't <laughs> not on the drums anyway well even for piano but, in in school like we uh <laughs> each school has a different level of piano that they insist their students make it to yeah uh gratefully for me um at one, for me it was uh i just had to pass a grade two exam yeah so um but everybody has to have piano as their minor until they can pass a grade two yeah so i hammered through that in first year and got out and uh <laughs> and then switched my minor to vocal because i knew i would yeah. use that yeah forever after For not sure. that i wouldn't use piano but i'm you know uh i'm mm. i'm doing mouth percussion you know yeah. so any composing i do it's going to be in that vein yeah. um and so i need to sing and play drums yeah. so um, i switched my minor but obviously theory class continues on mm -hmm. and so i would uh you know, my, my teacher would laugh each time because, uh, you know, you, you'd have to write out all these chord progressions and you're working on these diminished whatever freaky chords this sure. week. And now you need to make this long progression, please. And so yeah. everybody work on it, slave over it. And then um, the way our setup was, you'd be in a room, there's like uh, 15 keyboards all hooked into a soundboard. Right. And the prof's at the front with headphones on. We all have headphones on. And then she can just plug in to whichever one she wants to hear you. Okay. Like an operator in the old days, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, please. And they plug that in. So she could, exactly, yeah. so she could <laughs> stick it in and listen to you. So you'd be all by yourself and then you could go, hello, Michael. <laughs> and she is, and I'm like, hello. <laughs> and um, and so she'd, and then you'd have to play your progressions for her. And she would always laugh because I would play mine at, at like, you know, 170 beats a minute. Right. Um, and it wasn't because I was a great piano player. It was because I was such a terrible piano player that I would 
uh, I would look at what I've written from theory because the theory is just uh, pattern recognition. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Give me the pattern because that's what I'm all about. And that's why I did well in drumline. And, and so it's all about patterns and inverting them and turning them. I can, great. Yeah. Not a problem. So give me the pattern and I'll replicate. So I get the pattern. I write it out very quickly. Mm. And now I have to figure out how to play this. So I'm literally like, okay, so that one's a C and then that one's a, that one's an E. Okay. <laughs> and I would like placing each finger until you get eight fingers on the keyboard. And then I would look down at their position and memorize. And it would take me, okay, that long it's memorized. Okay, next. And I would just memorize the motion. This finger has to move over one step. This one has to move over two. These guys get to stay. Okay. And I'd look down and go, Okay, got it. Next. And I could memorize it wow. that fast. And then so she'd be like, okay, Michael, go. And I go, ching, 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 chang, ching, 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 chung. She'd go, okay, can you play it slower? Yep. And I play it slower. She's like, okay, cool. She goes, what's the third one you're playing? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I know what it feels like. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't even tell you what notes I'm hitting right now. Um, awesome. But they're all correct because I'd written it out first. And, yeah. you know, but I'd play it for it. I wouldn't even have the chart in front of me because I'd memorized it. Sure. You know, and uh, she thought that was funny. But technically, I was doing what I was asked to do. So, yeah. there's your grade yeah. um, but that's the you know it's all about pattern recognition and yeah. survival that's and so funny it. so I you know so can you play a piano yes I know all of my key signatures and all my like yes yeah. sure I could but yeah. I, I don't actually play it yeah <laughs> you know I mean? that's so, so funny I used to do almost the same thing for ear training um, what I would do is um, because we have all the digital stuff or we're I was starting to get into digital recording in college um, I would I just had GarageBand, but I plug my keyboard in and I would play what I was supposed to sing in uh, GarageBand just on, on my keyboard and record it. And then I would just memorize each piece and, and what it sounded like. So when I would go in, same thing. I wasn't really reading it. I was just singing it the way that I would sing in the car to any kind of like rock tune or, or anything along those lines. And she was like, oh yeah, cool. She's like, Can, and I would use solfege like lyrics. Right. And, um, <laughs> she's like, can you, uh, explain to me, you know, basically anything about it? I'm like, not really. Like, yeah. I, uh, hang on a second. And I'd have to like stop and think about like what the actual, um, the solfege, uh, the, what the dictation meant per interval and stuff like that, especially mm. when I got to the minor stuff. I, I never really used solfege once I stopped doing school. Cause so I was like, why wouldn't I just refer to it as the number? Right. For me, anyway, I found right. that the numbers instead of words uh, was a lot easier. Just for, it's faster, I think. And it's also, I don't know, I just found it related better to the base. So it was the same thing. What's the best practical application I could get out of it? Yeah. Because it's, you know, what am I going to use forever? Forever, Instead exactly. of what, what am I going to use to get this grade? Yeah, and, and singing now while playing drum set, uh, for me, I'm still memorizing all the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, I mean, you've already got <laughs> like singing, singing is three things, right? It's mm. a pitch, mm -hmm. it's a rhythm mm -hmm. and it's a lyric. Yeah. So you're asking your mind to do three things. Mm -hmm. So can you please do those three things while these four, four limbs things. are also yeah. going at the same time, right? So <laughs> it's a pretty big ask of oneself to do that. Yeah. Um, and so mem memorizing all your notes ahead of time helps it to be more autopilot. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. So, um, so I've done that as a kid, the difficulty then runs into if the singer changes the key i've been to shows the singer's like listen um is it all right everybody if we drop this down to c this time and then uh, i'm like oh shit 
Right. Because because now I have to listen and I have to pay attention. I have to find my notes again. Right. Which is doable, but mm-hmm. that's a way bigger ask, a way bigger oh, mental totally. investment. Yeah. You know, in that moment, um, or you 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 know, you've got all your notes memorized. You've sung it this way. You've done ten shows with this artist, and now there's another person who's on the bill who normally isn't, and they're singing your notes. Oh yeah. <laughs> So you gotta so find now you other gotta ones. Find something else. To you're do. Screwed. Yeah, yeah. So. I find that fucks me more than uh, a, a change of keys, unless it's like only by a semitone. I don't know why it is, but if there's a greater interval change from like one key to the next, if I only move it by like a half step, that's so much harder for me than it would be to say change something by a fifth or. Because it's more obvious when it's a larger step. It, yeah, yeah. It's just easier to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's I don't know something I got to work on. It's wacky, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's what's nice about this uh, this most recent project I'm doing is a uh, David Bowie, yeah, and it's great because we're just doing everything the way it is on the albums. Yeah. So I can memorize <laughs> all of those harmonies ahead of time. Yeah. No keys are ever changed. It's fantastic. Yeah. Because <laughs> so many other artists, you know, you're working with them, they're like, by the way, I do everything in C. Yeah. Yeah. I just know that my voice is better in C and that's great. Yep. But then you're practicing all the recordings of the originals and they're not in C mm-hmm. and that's that's tricky. Yeah. So I'm really, really grateful about this for the for the Bowie thing because I'm also the M D, so I'm I'm cueing everybody, I'm paying attention to everybody, I'm memorizing everyone else's uh, errors so that I can right. politely address them later mm-hmm. on so that we can improve. Um, and then to try and you know, find my notes at the same time, that would be yeah, yeah, that would suck if it wasn't so, for the record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So being able to have everything the same it makes it way easier. So yeah. that's a big relief for this particular. Yeah, game. no mm-hmm. kidding. Like when I first started playing, everything was just a lift, right? Because I I couldn't read, and mm-hmm. um, also there was no such thing as just going on to Guitar Pro and and pulling up right. tabs or anything <laughs> like that. So everything had to be a lift, and and this was before I understood anything about chord scale relationships or how to transpose at all. So everything was always to the record and it was the same with my older brother and he and I were almost always in the same band so in that regard it was like oh cool it's just this pattern and this is the way it is every single time so that did make it nice and although when it finally came time to play with people that were like oh I can't sing it in that key it was like oh fuck (laughs) now what so yeah, I I totally get what you mean by it's it's really nice to be in a, a tribute act where it's that rigid where we're yeah where it is everything is exactly to the recording that exactly. is kind of nice and it makes it so much easier when you have substitutes too yeah um, I mean we're, it was just our first show this past weekend so we're yeah. not there yet sure but um, the reality is is that this type of show needs to be able to get booked whenever the the artist is able to do it yeah. so I need to find at least a secondary person for each position right um so to be able to say okay now here's a list of the exact versions we do right go yeah you know right and make your own charts do whatever you want but here you go you know it's exactly that in that key exact form there's no vamping there's no nothing do it there's no like hunting for the version that you need oh yeah yeah. or or guessing i should say yeah yeah now one thing that is a little funny to start we're starting with the radio edits of everything right because they're shorter and simpler yep but as we're getting into it uh the vocalist is now like yeah i'm sorry can we please do the original version of of this or that so we're expanding a little bit and that will you know metamorphosize over time a little bit but yeah yeah. uh but yeah so it's it's definitely a lot simpler to to do it that way so um i ran a, a santana tribute for a long time cool fun big band like eight guys and bigger shows we'd add the brass we'd add like two to three brass so you'd have 10 11 guys on stage wow Uh, that's sweet it's big yeah Yeah, it was big big. and um and it was fun but um 
you know, the Santana stuff is, I mean, even on the albums, he's vamping it, right? Yeah. Like they just, they're just open solos until he cues, and mm-hmm. he would visually cue the timbali player, and the timbali player would cue the band right. sonically, right? So uh, I was a timbalito, and it was, so it was made that easy. Yeah. Um, so I was, um, you know, one of the main singers and playing timbales, and, uh, and uh, it was... Uh, it was a lot because we, we had to rehearse so much because you had to get used to everybody and everybody had to watch you to cue everything out. You couldn't just yeah. step in. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? It'd be like you had to watch all the time and everything. Yeah. A lot of fun, yep. uh, a lot of mouths, a lot of turnover in some of the positions. Yep. Um, so, you know, yep. tricky. Lots yep. of drum set players. And, <laughs> you know, you and I were talking about, uh, you and I were talking about, um, you know, marijuana and performances. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I really struggled with some drum set players on that gig right? because uh, my keyboard player um, really indulged yeah. and uh, it had zero effect on him yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's a lifestyle for him. He's a, an amazing player and he's playing with a very big Canadian artist right now and touring all over and he's amazing yep. and it's great. Um, it has no effect on him yeah. and um, I don't care. I just sure. care about how you're going to perform on stage. Of course. You know, if I'm the MD, then, you yeah. know, that it's my job to make sure that everybody does well. Yeah. Or I find someone else to. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it has zero effect on this guy. He yeah. was just a beautiful keyboard player. Yeah. And once we found him, it was like such a gift. And we, we rocked that right through to the end. It was yeah. fantastic. <laughs> but because he was indulging, um, often his new p- members of the band would join, they would they would have some with them beforehand right. and uh man i'm i i don't know many drummers that can do that yeah because they just slow down yeah they just slow down yeah. <laughs> you know for most people it, it makes them relax and um and they're just slowing down and slowing down and i'm turning back and yelling at the drummer let's go let's go and they're just slowing down and uh-huh. having arguments man you can't do that before show i do it before every show i'm like well you can't do it in my show yeah <laughs> and so for sure so i had to release a bunch of guys it was because the same thing kept happening because like oh this guy's got a great pot and so yeah. i have some <laughs> yeah. they had smoke up before the show and and have to have to release them in that that sucked, but it's yeah. funny because you and I just got to you know, to talk about that talk one day about, it, yeah. about the effects on it and how it affects everybody differently. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care yeah. what you do. Yeah, me neither. Off stage, as long as you're at at your best on stage. Yep, absolutely. You know I mean? So, uh, but uh, but it was just funny that you know. So well, that that Santana tribute always reminds me of that because I had, I went through yeah. a lot of people for that. You know, I bet. and and also a lot of people who are. Um, it was founded by a guy who uh, also worked at the post office. Okay. And so um, he, out of like Hamilton and Burlington, and so he was dragging in a bunch of um, players who were weekend warriors who also worked at the post right. office. And so a lot of them would get nervous and they'd you know, consume a little bit too much alcohol to help right. ease their nerves, but then it would affect the Of course, you get too. drunk fingers. Yeah. And so you'd slowly start <laughs> replacing each of those people too. Yeah. And so, so when I started off, it was like 90% posties in this wow. band. And then by the time it finished, it was just the founder that was from the post office. He was a bass player. He was a very nice bass player. Cool. Um, he was the only one left from the post office, and I replaced it with all like you yeah. know, recent school grads. And then you know the band yeah. was like everybody was fifty in the band except for me. And then by the time it finished, everybody was twenty in the band except for the bass player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, and it was pretty sure. hot, a lot of fun playing the C and E, opening at the C and E, and 
you know, those are big gigs, thousands of thousands yeah, of people at that. And, absolutely. Uh, and I'm singing in Spanish and then having all these people walk up to me afterwards and asking me questions. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm English Irish from yeah. Peterborough. I don't speak a word. I memorized but, all yeah, the shit phonetically. Exactly, I don't know what you're saying. I know a word. You know, I know primavera means spring and beso is kiss. You know, like, you know, a sure. few words, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. I have no idea what I'm saying. Not so. fluent. <laughs> Not fluent at all, but uh, super, super fun band to do, but uh, high rotation and yeah. people and stuff well, like that. Well, for sure you can't have people getting fucked up that where it affects them like i know a lot of guys that either can totally do it and they're super fine like i know actually a handful of guitarists that are it doesn't phase them in the slightest to smoke up before we play and that's awesome i cannot do it i'll have a panic attack and i'll start freaking out and i get lost and it's it's bad because i start overanalyzing everything i'm doing and i'm like oh my god where am i and then other people that don't realize that they're getting fucked up and uh, well, not just um, psychoactively inebriated, but like making huge mistakes or people that just can't handle their alcohol when they're playing or they get belligerent when they do it or whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm totally which I mean, we've talked about this before that I'm totally on the same page. I really don't care what you do after. And if it doesn't affect you, I don't care what you're doing on stage either. So exactly. if you're playing well, I'm happy. Exactly. But the second it starts fucking stuff up, it's like, oh <laughs> man, we'll have this conversation once. Okay. And if it continues, check this out. You'll love this one. So, All right. <laughs> um, so my my rock band in college was like the it was like the city rock bands. This is the band yeah. I told you about that was playing with these bars for all these people. Yeah, with all the so, dudes bobbing their heads. Bobbing their yeah. heads. Yeah. So then we became like the opening act for everybody who came to town. So it was great sure. to meet all of the you know. So it was great to open for Widemouth Mason and Big Rack and all these people and lots of fun. And so um, but uh, um, so we became the first ever college pub bar band, like the house band. Right. So we had a, we had a gig two nights a week at the pub. Nobody had ever had this. Awesome. So, um, but so we were, we went through bass players like monthly for oh about a God. year and we're like, okay, there are no more bass players left in Sudbury. We've, we've milked that, <laughs> that puddle dry. And, um, and, uh, thankfully in the end we found like a kid who was in grade 12 and just, and he was fantastic. Wow. And he was just graduating. He was allowed into the bars. We just kind of kept it on the down low. He was so young, sure. sort of Dave Matthews-esque. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he was fantastic. He, nice. Except, uh, side note, he was a really little dude. Um, really great. But he played a monster amp. Uh, um, yeah. It was four tens and a 15 at the bottom. Oh, my God. Um, it was an Ampeg. And um, so it was like a fridge. Right. And it had like a handle at the back, like a bar handle at the back and two wheels at the back. Yeah, yeah. So you so tilt like it its back. It's dolly. It's own dolly. He'd yeah. wheel it. But he... he when he tilted it, it was still taller than him. <laughs> so he's trying to get it out of his car. It was the, oh. it was it was hilarious, man. It was like it was like this this amazing player, but he was you know one of the shortest people I've met playing this monster bass amp. Which obviously there's like zero need to play through yeah. anything like that ever because yeah. it's always mic'd and or di'd. And right. There's, there's no purpose. You but, never need a stack. But anymore. it looks great. Yeah. Um, so, um, but so kind of side note on that guy, he was great. But so um, in our quest through bass guitar players, it was crazy. And I was pretty aggressive at the time. I almost went over my drum set to get one at a rehearsal once. Uh, um, but uh, my guitar player got in between in time. But because um, um, he, he was just so offensive. Uh, but the, so there was one guy. Um, he was okay, really, really large fellow, um, like muscles, big guy, and um, he showed up to the gig, and he was already a little drunk when he got there. Mm. I'm like, oh, this isn't looking good, and yeah. um, and I'm like, dude, how long is your patch cable? I've never seen a patch cable that long. He's like, it's 50 feet. 
and you know Jesus we're playing we're, you know we're playing a stage that's you know eight by 15 yeah right so um <laughs> so um you know five piece rock band um yeah. and uh the uh lead guitar player had perfect pitch nice so the audience could just call out tracks and he'd roll his eyes back he's like it's in d I'm like oh cool and between all of us one of us knew the lyrics so we could literally just let the wow. audience call out tracks all night which was that's awesome. crazy awesome um so it was a really really fun band to be in but so the but the bass player you know, was hopefully needing to be at that caliber as well. Right. Um, so this guy had this 50 foot patch cable, like what the hell? So uh, sure enough, you know, last set, the bar is like, you know, it's starting to empty out. It's like 1 a.m. and stuff like that. So he steps down from the little one foot high stage using that 50 foot cable while playing and he's wandering around to the tables and he's <laughs> drinking the leftover beer that people oh, left behind. That's so so whenever he could just ride the E string, then his left hand reach out and he could just open the hatch and one oh, single gulp, just half the, half the pint that was left on the table. And that's why he had the 50 foot cable. I'm like, okay, we got to fire this yeah. dude the minute the show is over. Oh my God. Um, and we're like so angry on stage watching him wander around, do this, you know? So that um, is horrific. Yeah. Oh my God. Not only is that just like super unprofessional, but that's fucking gross. It's so gross. What? It's oh. so gross. You know? Like what if you grabbed a herpes beer? Oh, like, like you're done. You're, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So oh my God. It was pretty wild. And, and, and I mean, I've done a lot of shows. Oh. I've never seen that ever since. Like that's the only time I've ever seen somebody do that. Um, oh, that's and like, so and, the, and the dude was like 19, uh, you know, and he was that. Yeah. He, he had that difficulty then, so I, I don't know if he's still with us. <laughs> but uh, wow, pretty wild. Yeah. So that's one of my like favorite bass player stories. Is a is if you see a guy with a fifty foot cable, beware. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Beware. Oh my god. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I get I get made fun of almost every single show because anybody that's seen me play will know this. I bring up an entire pitcher of water on stage and it's just for me. Like, because I sweat a lot, because I move a lot. And um, most of the shows that I'm playing, I'm singing quite a bit. So I, I want to stay hydrated. I want to keep the throat lubed up. Yeah. So I'll get made fun of for, for drinking that much water. And most of the time, just for like speed sake in between tunes if i need a drink i'll just kind of forego the glass and i'll just drink right out of the jug which right. it's <coughs> it doesn't look awesome but at the same time it's like i got two seconds to take a big gulp and i'm fucking dying right. and it doesn't matter if it's like 35 degrees out i almost always will wear you know like a, a, a button-down shirt and and uh, look good and yeah you know i want to dress yeah. For the show, I want to look nice. I, I want people to, when we're off stage, I want people to know I'm in the band so that I don't get fucked with because I'm not a big guy. Right. So <laughs> it's like, please don't hit me. I have to go on stage later. Um, and, uh, but I, I, so many people always make fun of me for, uh, for drinking water on stage. Something that I used to do, I don't even do this anymore though, but what I used to do, I actually stole the idea from that really terrible uh, bar movie, Coyote Ugly. Mm, where okay. I drink the majority of a bottle of beer and if but always a brown bottle mm-hmm. and if anybody because a lot of you know you know what it's like you're playing people want to buy you drinks I'd be like yeah but it's got to be a shot so what I do is I take the shot and pretend to do a, a beer chaser and I'd spit the shot down into the bottle I used to do that a lot and I oh, saw wow. that in this really stupid movie and I was like wow that's that's a really good fucking idea. This movie's terrible, but I'm going to steal that idea for right. on stage. But yeah, most of the time it's 
just now I don't care anymore if people are like, hey, you big pissy drinking water. Like, whatever. It's yeah. hot and I'm thirsty. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, or that or I'll just tell people. Now it's a lot more acceptable to say, well, I drove here. People are like, oh, yeah, okay. Cool. Totally. So that that does help. But yeah, I'm, I am such a square. <laughs> no, no. It's just, it's all water. And um, actually, it's kind of funny though, because uh, this is only the second episode of the podcast where we haven't been drinking um <laughs> while doing it while doing just it time now, of day and yeah getting sick and yeah 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 i mean now it, it's relatively early because we got started at 11 o'clock this morning so yeah definitely not going to be drinking beers on a monday morning <laughs> at 11 because that that spells problems uh but yeah and then the other one was was quite early in the morning as well where it's like no nah, i'm not gonna be not gonna be doing any drinking but uh yeah so uh First or second, second sober podcast. Second Woo-hoo! sober podcast. Wow. Now that that being said, though, it takes like two beers for me to get half in the bag. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, to to do a sober podcast really doesn't, you know, <laughs> between sober and drunk is a pretty fine line for me because I'm go. I'm such a wuss. Um. So when did you start doing? Uh. When did you co-found the Hitman Drumline, or is there like a bunch more stuff in between that still? Because I got this list of like. <laughs> really cool stuff and I haven't done this in a long time but um, I, I'm just not entirely sure of the timeline for you because we've really only been hanging out for a couple months mm-hmm. um, so I don't do you want to take a look at that and maybe tell me <laughs> <laughs> where where we are chronologically yeah okay so um, Hitman is pretty recent Hitman okay. is just about a year and a half old oh cool um, yeah so um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so um so uh while i was at um while i was at soul drums right um through uh and i started teaching that marching band right um then another guy that was teaching the brass of the marching band was uh the music teacher at saint michael's college in toronto oh, okay so he asked me if i'd be interested in becoming a substitute teacher for them because i was conducting and composing some of the brass for the marching band right. uh so because i could conduct he saw i had that skill and i was comfortable working with kids mm-hmm. um so i said yeah um because man's got to eat yeah absolutely um, but um uh, crazy culture shock for me because I had uh, not gone to school to be a music educator, right. um, to have classroom management skills and all of this. Um, St. Michael's is a, is a beautiful uh, boys Catholic private school in Toronto. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very respectful place. There's things are very regimented. So it's like a full suit and, right. and things. it was a very different universe for me. And yeah. so I got substitute teaching there and then he said, okay, you know, would you help us to start a drum line? Right. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and, uh, because that music teacher had a marching background himself, he marched in one of the world's top groups as a trumpet player. Oh, cool. And, um, so amazing in California. Um, so right. super cool. So, um, yeah, I will. So, then he said, you know, uh, what, what drums should we buy? And I said, well, do you want them to be inexpensive or do you want them to be good? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I had marched <laughs> in a bunch of different groups and I, and, uh, so he said, no, no, no. Like this is St. Michael's. They need to be good. I'm right. like, oh, okay. Then we need to buy Yamahas. Right. Um, cause in the marching universe, they're bulletproof. Right. And so, uh, so we got in contact with a dealer, got in contact with Yamahas. The Yamaha guys came, 
uh, to meet with us and make a pitch. And, and they met me and uh, they asked for a copy of my book. And they came back and said, you know, we're going to work together with you guys to help you get a drum line. And, you know, Michael, would you be interested in becoming an artist for us? And that started yeah. that whole stream as well. So um, so St. Michael's got a drum line in 05. Right. And uh, became sort of like the, uh, the nucleus for bringing marching percussion back to Canadian high schools. That's cool. Um, so that's uh, that's big, and it's really wonderful. So I've been yeah. there uh, since then, um, which nice. is pretty cool. I'm still there. I'll be there on Wednesday. Oh, right um, on, man. Yep, and uh, and uh, they are the most um, successful scholastic group nice. um, that is out there right now. And um, so you know, real pleasure to to have been a part of that all the way through and see it through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, been at St. Michael's a long time. Um, started at Trinity College. Um, uh, I, I was doing clinic tours to help start uh, drum lines in schools, and uh, Trinity asked for one, and then uh, they bought one and hired me right after. Nice. <laughs> so that was awesome. <laughs> really close to home, and um, and then my friend, uh, um, my best friend is Chad Morford, and he's got um, he saw me at uh, at uh, the Ontario Music Educators Conference doing a workshop with uh, St. Mike's Drumline, and he bought a drumline for his elementary school, and they became the top in Ontario in a class with a lot of high school kids in it. Whoa. Awesome. But right um, in his community, the kids would graduate the drum line in grade eight and they'd have nothing. Right. And it was, you know, it was literally for a lot of those kids, it was saving them from a lot of worse things. Oh, for sure. So the parents were kind of freaking out like, so what are you going to do for my kid when they graduate? Yeah. So he, um, so he did all the paperwork. He registered as a nonprofit and he started Oak Ridge Percussion. Okay. And so, uh, he, so that's so we do that as a partnership together. So he's the he's the director. Um, he designs all of their all of their shows and, and conceptually, and then I come in and, and compose the the drumline parts and, and teach that each week with them. Nice. So um, St. Mike's is two drumlines and Trinity and Oak Ridge. So I teach those four drumlines a week. Um, so yeah, so that's my Wednesday and Thursday. So every Wednesday, I drive to St. Michael's. I do two drumlines there. They're junior, they're senior. Get home around eleven o'clock at night. And then every Thursday, I drive to Port Hope, teach Oak Ridge, and then to Brighton and teach, sorry, Trinity and Port Hope, and then Oak Ridge and Brighton, and then drive home, get home around 11.30 at night or so on, on those nights. Yeah. So um, so, so got those groups groups going. And then everybody started bugging me that they wanted to have drumline competitions. Right. And, like, and you need to start running these. <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, man, I'm, I'm doing a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm not a politician. I'm a, yeah. I'm a composer and a performer. Um, so people were bringing their drum lights to uh, the governing body for scholastic jazz bands. Mm. It was going poorly. And it's also really expensive to be a part of that. Right. And then they're having a trombone player say, you guys are great. And that's what they're getting out of the experience. So, um, mm. so it was just really obviously time. Yeah. So uh, Chad and I started the... Ontario Drumline Association and um, we started running uh, competitions in Ontario for all the scholastic drumlines and then that grew to the Canadian Drumline Association so it's a registered nonprofit, and I've got uh, competitions in four provinces uh, the first one is in two weeks in uh, Fraser Valley in BC in a school in Abbotsford cool. um, so uh, yeah so we're you know I'm 
hiring and training judges in four provinces and coordinating all these events. And then I fly to all of the championships and uh, in the awesome. Western championships, I can adjudicate because I can't in Ontario because I have groups competing. Of course. Yeah. So it's conflict of yeah, interest. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and uh, I could in Quebec, but uh, often I bring a group or two to the Quebec championships as well. So again, conflict of interest. Sure. So, um, so I always do the BC and the Alberta championships now. So I'm heading out in March for that. Excited. That's awesome. Um, which is really great. So, um, so the, the, the CDA Canadian Drama Association, that's a, a big part of what I do now. And nice. uh, recently I found myself kind of spreading a little thin. Mm. So I'm refocusing more on that. Yeah. So that's a big, big part of what I'm doing. Yeah. Nice. So the Hitman is, um, the Hitman's fun. Um, I'm starting to step back from that a little bit too. Okay. Uh, not because I don't love it. It's just because I, I'm really just focusing on the CDA and, yeah, and yeah. young family too and stuff. But so the Hitman was really out of necessity. Um, uh, as Drumline grows in popularity because of, you know, what we're doing, yeah. um, then all these corporate clients start popping up or professional sport teams start popping right. up. And my St. Mike's Drumline was doing a lot for the Argos for years and years and getting a lot of play for that. And uh, so then other sports franchises were asking for Drumlines. And one of my friends runs the one for Saskatchewan Rough Riders and right. it's all starting to spread, which is great. So um, I just kept getting uh, calls asking for Drumlines. And if my scholastic groups could do them, great. And if not, I was passing them on to another ensemble. And eventually I was like, you know what? Maybe I should do these myself. Yeah. Wouldn't that sure. be neat? Yeah. You know? So uh, so uh, with a friend, I started the Hitman. And it was uh, it was nice, too, to be able to give a venue for a bunch of my past students to do it. Because in yeah. Canada, there isn't drumline in colleges really yet. Right. For the most part. Um, so, you, you, you know, this is like your thing all through high school. And all of a sudden, you're 18 and you're done. Yeah. And so the Hitman was an opportunity for these guys to go and play again, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, they might get paid a little bit or they might get paid really well, just depending on the gig, but sure. they get to play for the Blue Jays in front of all these people, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and the next day you get to play for the, the hockey, you know, all-star game or the NBA all-star game and yeah. all these cool things, you know, and so, uh, or somebody's wedding. Yeah. You know, like whatever the yeah, gig is, you know, gig, yeah, so it's basically great, like though. a corporate performance drum line and it could be, it could be two guys or it could be 20 and, uh, wow. and then, um, buying lights for the drums and everything like that and all that oh, kind cool. of thing. That's fun. And so there's and, like a, I mean, it would stand to reason there's a serious like stage show aspect to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you, you alter that for what it is. Kind oh of a yeah, thing. yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, and it's it's neat, and so it's so it's you know it's mostly twenty somethings that get a chance to play again that yeah. are really excited about it, you know. That's and, cool. Uh, and so there's there's three of us that are that are owners of the company. Nice. And um and it's it's pretty fun. It's so it's something that I'm stepping back from, but only mm-hmm. only because only because I, I I just have a lot on my plate. It's a really sure. it's a really cool thing, and I'm stepping back, but it's it's still going to continue and be awesome. And all my oh, friends yeah. and and former students are all going to perform in it. So. That's really cool. Yeah. With the CDA, is that a full-blown spectator welcome sort of thing, or is it totally? Adju- yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Totally. Um, we do we do it during we do the regional competitions during school. Okay. Um, so uh, so the the championships uh, the the larger championships now are starting to happen on weekends, nice. and then it's it's mostly the public that's going. Um, when we started the association, because uh, in the states in, in the U.S. this is a way of life, right. and uh, they do it all on Saturdays. Yeah, Saturdays and Sundays. Um, but this is something that was brand new that we were introducing to most Canadian teachers that didn't know about it. Right. And so to ask a teacher to give up their Saturday, they need to be really keen. Yeah. Um, because they're not <laughs> being paid to do something on a Saturday. For sure. And <clears throat> my experience with with music teachers is that um, there's not a lot of gray. 
Yeah. They're, they're just amazing people that are so devoted and love their kids or they're not. Yeah. And so um, we had like a few really amazing people bringing their drum lines out to our events. Nice. And, um, and that's it. So once we moved it to uh, a weekday, during the school time, it eliminated that right away. Right. Everybody was coming. Plus, for another teachers, to be fair, for a lot of teachers, it was difficult to get um, busing and things coordinated. For sure. Once it becomes a school trip, then yeah. then there's funding from their admin and everything like that too. So that was also factors. So it wasn't just about you know about their own personal commitment. It was also some logistics. Yeah, yeah. So we moved them just to um, to school days. And what's pretty cool, what we do is we have like the whoever's the host ensemble, they'll do a buyout. So the kids can leave class if they pay three dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Of course, everybody's everyone like get I'll, out of I'll class. pay three bucks to get out of class, and then we we let the host ensemble keep that funding because we're yeah. we're a nonprofit, and um, so it's a fundraiser for whoever hosts the ensemble, and then That's we're guaranteed cool. that the gym has got five hundred bodies yeah. in it. Yeah. You know, and you have no idea what you're seeing. Like these kids don't know what drumline is. It doesn't matter. You're coming in and watching 20 drummers perform for you. You're going to scream. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then totally. you extra scream for your team and everything like that too. And, yeah. and, it, and, and it opens it up to everybody. Yeah. I was going to say, who knows how many of those kids had no idea what it was and seeing go, holy shit, I want to do that. Yeah. And they didn't know what their drumline was. Yeah. And they didn't get why these kids were practicing it. And now they understand the culture of it. Yeah. And it immediately makes the culture of it cool in the school. Yeah. Because you know, the kids get it. Oh, and they see all these other groups coming from far away to do it and it it's pretty great so yeah. that's the that's the footprint we do we use now and so public can can come to those still too yeah, yeah. but it's it's mostly the kids in the high school yeah. you know just that's awesome it. though yeah because like in high school for me we were a real jock school and being a musician meant you were a tool so mm-hmm. and didn't help that i had super long hair and was wearing like <laughs> 70s clothes and shit like that but you know so yeah. to to have that exposure and let people see how awesome music is in general that's that's fantastic yeah sorry I no cut no, you no, off. no no not at all no exactly it that's exactly it so now uh, our championships in three of the provinces are on saturdays and over time they'll they'll eventually go that way but keeping it during the school day is mm. totally the vibe to go which is really different in canada mm-hmm. and you know a minor struggle that we've had is that there are people who are aware of what's going on in the u.s mm. and would like us to do everything the same as the u.s right. and the u.s is awesome like i, I did it yeah <laughs> you know i marched or uh, you know uh i marched in world class um both indoor and outdoor um and you know indoor placed top five in the world our ensemble um, nice. for three the three years that i did it uh in that and uh, in world class top five you know i've, I've been there yeah it's awesome i'm a fan um but the reality is is that we need to be flexible to adjust things for the canadian market for sure right that we're starting we're starting over we're starting at square one yeah so we really have to make some little tweaks and stuff like that so there are some people that are a little frustrated that we don't do things exactly the same as the states but i just kind of pitch it like a cfl nfl kind of a thing yeah you know like there's just there's just realities that are different that we need to change you know of course so that uh so a lot of people are, are a little pissy about the weekday shows it's like well i'm working at one o'clock on a thursday so i can't come to your event like sorry. yes i'm sorry <laughs> but i didn't create this for you i created it for kids to drum yeah you know and and you know when i when i'm having a rough day something i think about it you know that a friend pointed out to me that this really helped is that uh you know there are um there are a little over 200 scholastic drum lines now Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, a decade ago there was one. So, um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> in Canada, that's pretty amazing. So if you think if every one of them has, um, 15 kids in it, yeah, right. There are thousands of kids that will hit a drum this week that we yeah. have beforehand because of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, so that, 
you know, when somebody starts bitching at me, that's yeah. just, okay, just remember that, you know, there's some kid in, you know, Enderby, BC, who's going to hit a drum today because of me. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. life's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's great, you know? man. So that's, that's kind of, that's definitely how you, that's yeah. definitely my carrot. That's super yeah. cool. So, so my focus is to really grow, grow that like crazy yeah. and then still gig in some fun bands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Does that almost pretty much catch us up to now? That's pretty much now. Okay. Yeah. Right on. And then, uh, pretty recently, um, you and I got, uh, picked up to do, well, I mean, you were probably already a part of it. Well, you are, we're already a part of it. I got picked up a little bit later to the yeah. party to come and play with you and, and Derek and Joel for some, uh, for some studio work. Yeah. Which so is cool. that group started a couple of years ago and I went through a really crazy ankle injury and had to basically take like a year and a half off of kit. Um, and so that project got put on hiatus. Right. And, uh, so this is sort of the rebirth of that. Uh. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty neat because I I like the premise of it. It's just like we're just going to write a great song, tweak it, record it, and start mm. pitching it to people. Yeah, you know, as opposed to getting in a van and playing some dirty club. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's a it's a it's we're going at it the other way. Yeah, and that interests me. Yeah, you know, and the guys are nice and yeah. and talented and um and it's a, it's a neat diversity musically within the group like people's styles are so different yeah um, between between each of us that it's a, it's a nice melting pot yeah it just gives it something different yeah for sure so very much so yeah. i thought it was really cool when i was uh when we were all hanging out in joel's basement that first night and then i think it was we were just talking about different bands and stuff that we might want to draw from and i think you'd brought up um it was either Queens of the Stone Age or it was Them Crooked, them Vultures. crooked Vultures. It was Vultures. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as you said that, because I remembered who you were, I wasn't going to be like, hey, do you remember me? Because that's <laughs> no. so lame. No. But, um, because <laughs> of course you wouldn't. It was like 10 years ago. But you said Vultures. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, man. This is going to be fun. And then yeah. when you started talking about Caius and we were talking about Queens and just like all those really awesome bands that I was so into in high school and stuff and just coming mm. up and wanting to learn that kind of weirder side of the I, I don't know if grunge is the right word for that sort of stuff but that yeah. weirder it's side like of dark, the darker alt grunge yeah exactly yeah. and and, and yeah. we brought up um, I think Alice in Chains came up mm -hmm. and, then, and then all the Zeppelin talk started happening yeah. I was like I'm fucking sold it's <laughs> like if the, if the drummer's talking about this stuff man I'm so in because that's cool. that's cool. the shit that I love to do yeah. so I, th I thought that was very neat and then also I haven't like I've I've done session work before and I've done tons of sideman work, mm -hmm. but I've never done anything where it was we're gonna write this song and then we're gonna pitch it and we're just gonna just let go. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like I've gone in knowing that this is that this song belongs to somebody else and I'm fine with that because I know what it is. But coming in, it's like, all right, here's a chord progression. Write your part and then. And then we're going to sell it off. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that's a really neat avenue that I've never explored before. So, And it's cool, too, because there isn't a massive amount of time commitment to it. Totally. It's like, well, shit, we went in and laid down the beds and, like, the setup time <laughs> took longer than it did to record the beds, which yeah. was awesome. Like, you you nailed your, your drum part in two takes, and I think I got 
my baseline. I, I did my baseline in two as well. The harmonica part took a little bit longer because that one really, really bum take that I'm embarrassed you guys were. <laughs> no, no, no. In the booth to hear because I was just like, I don't know what to play in this part. And that, it was that was garbage. funny though because it was like 20 minutes to set up the kit and yeah. it was like 80 minutes to get the mics ready. Yeah. I played through the track once and he's like, I need to adjust the mics and I'm like, okay, cool. So he adjusts the mics and I play through it again. I'm like, okay, we got it. I was like, oh. Uh, all right. all right, you know, the song is three minutes and nine seconds long. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I've drummed for six minutes and I'm yeah. done. I was kind of <laughs> sad because, you know, if it was a band, you could say, okay, well, let's do the next five tracks. Yeah. You know, but right? it's a single shot. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll tear my kit down. It was pretty bizarre. It's like, all it's, right, I guess I'll I mean, see you guys later. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was really weird. Like, it's kind of funny though. Cause it's like, okay. Like say, basically the same thing happened with the baseline. And I was like, um... Can I have one more? Because I was like, that's pretty close, but I I can do it better. Just give me one more. Because like the first take was basically my warm up, right? And then second take I was like, okay. Now what? Um, anybody Thank opposed you. to harmonica <laughs> yeah. in this tune? Because I I play that. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Give me more time to record something because i didn't feel finished you yeah. know it was really weird really weird yeah so we'll have to start on the next track soon yeah that's right that uh that e minor it doesn't team. have a name yet no yeah. it doesn't <laughs> but uh yeah that'll be that'll be a lot of fun cool yeah so that uh that pretty well i think takes us right up to date um do you want to tell the people where they can find like all of this stuff <laughs> and and also the david bowie and whatever else you've got going on um yeah so um the, the main projects i'm doing right now are the canadian drumline association mm-hmm. so that's canadian drumline association.org okay it's can drumline like c-a-n drumline on all social media okay and uh and then the bowie thing is super fun it's my new thing so it's bowie lives cool so it's bowielives.ca it's hash bowie lives and everything like that easy to find um so that's that's the most fun and then it's michaelbeauclair.com okay um which hasn't been updated in a while um but again now that i'm refocusing that's something that's going to be updated a lot recently and i'm obviously on all social media platforms and stuff like that too cool uh so like twitter instagram twitter instagram facebook yeah cool do you have a youtube page I do. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, on uh, Friday, I just shot three new videos. Oh, nice. So they're in edits now. Uh, next week, I'm going to shoot three more. So uh, in the coming weeks, every week, a new video will be loaded up. All right. So, and it's just Michael Beauclair. Yeah. Super awesome. Easy. Well, uh, what do you say we put this on pause for a second, reset the mic so that we can hear you play something? Cool. Fucking A. Let's right. do it. Thank you. Shops is to just show people double stroke roll. Okay. So I'm just going to strike twice on each hand. All right. So it's going to be right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, and we'll just speed it up. All right. Okay. All right. Right, right, left, left.
Right, right, left, left. Holy shit. That was awesome. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, my name's Thomas McMan McManus. Sorry. That is Michael Beauclair. You've been listening to 646. Have a good day, everybody.